Elf on the Shelf. How many of you do Elf on the Shelf? Give me some hands. More of you should do Elf on the Shelf. Although by the time I'm done, you may not want to do more of Elf on the Shelf. Basically, it's a little elf, and each night, when the kids go to sleep, you fly the elf to a different spot, and so they get up and they look for the elf. And it can be a lot of fun. So we have done some things like, one evening, uh, we spread flour over part of a countertop, and we put the elves in there making snow angels in the flour. We took one where we, op- we got them in the fridge, and we had some eggs, and we took markers, and we drew faces on some of the eggs, and we put the elves holding the pens, drawing on the eggs. And then I did one Mission Impossible, where I dropped, one elf was holding another elf, dropping him down, so the elf was you know, doing that famous move that Tom Cruise does in Mission Impossible. It's fun, except you have to do it 25 times. <laughs> And I came across this little comic on Elf on the Shelf, and the first box is what's supposed to happen, and then there's this dad duck talking to a baby duck, and a little elf on the shelf is sitting there, and the dad duck says, every night the elf flies to the North Pole and back. So when you wake up, he'll be in some wacky new place in the house. And the little baby goes, wow. And then the next box is, what inevitably happens. And the baby duck walks out and says, hey, why didn't he move last night? And the dad says, well, maybe the holidays are already exhausting and he has overextended himself when he decided to do this. <laughs> that is exactly what happens. We, it seems like about for about 10 days or so, we're like all excited and we're doing these great things and then at some point we're getting ready to go to bed, we're like, oh, the stupid elves. <laughs> And it's just, where do we stick them? Maybe we can put this one like in a shell. I just, here's the thing about Elf on the Shelf. It is an every night thing. You don't get a break. You just keep doing it because if you take a break, you get exactly what the little duck said. Hey, why are you in the same spot you were in? Constant, every night. This morning, I want to talk about obedience and that it has the same quality as that every night thing, except it's not 25 days. It's every day and every month and every year for our entire lives, obedience. And I want to talk about the way that obedience ties into peace. Because that's our series. How do you have peace in this hectic, crazy season when you keep having to move those dumb elves every day? How do you have peace? Open up your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. This morning is the story of Joseph. Story of Joseph. And first, I want to talk a little bit about who this guy is. We have very little information on Joseph, but the information we have says something very profound about his character. 
Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, betrothal is about a year-long period, and it has the same force as a marriage covenant, so that if the betrothal fails for some reason, for example, if one of them happens to die prematurely, you would be considered a widow or a widower. If you have to break it off, it would be considered divorce. So don't think like just engagement that we have in our culture today. The betrothal was a period where you were married, but not yet married, because you didn't live together typically, and you weren't practicing marital things that you do once you get married. However, the commitment was there. In fact, the dowry had already been given. Right? So it's a very significant commitment. Before they came together, she was found. So this suggests the information was not offered. But instead, so remember, she went to see her cousin Elizabeth. And she stays with Elizabeth approximately three months. So by the time she returns, it's three to four months, and she is showing So when she is found, she is found to be pregnant. To be with child from the Holy Spirit, except Joseph doesn't have that last part of the sentence. He doesn't have the from the Holy Spirit. All he has is, my wife went away for a couple of months, and she's come back, and she has a child in her. And here's what I know. It's not mine. That's what Joseph knows. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. All right, this is, this is really an incredible thing that Joseph is doing here. In his culture, he really has no option but to divorce her. To stay with her would completely ruin his life. Because the amount of shame brought on him by his wife getting pregnant by another man before they get married when they are betrothed, it would ruin his business. Nobody would want to hire him. He would be ostracized. Not only that, can you imagine the pain you would be feeling when the woman you're supposed to marry or switch it the man you're supposed to marry goes and cheats on you during your betrothal before you actually even get married. Because he has no clue that the Holy Spirit did this. What he knows is his wife left, was away from him for a few months, and apparently couldn't control herself, and now he's got to deal with the consequences. Not only that, there's only one way for him to keep the dowry. So he's been given something to marry her. The only way to keep it is to publicly shame her so that all of the guilt, all of the shame goes on her and her family, and he can hold on to this. So here's a man who has been betrayed. His culture is telling him, you have no option but to do this. And he risks losing everything if he doesn't. And here's what he does. He still thinks about Mary. 
How many times have you been betrayed by somebody and you can still think about their well-being? And not just think about it, but be willing to risk something for them to actually have something better. That's what Joseph is doing here. It is really an incredible thing, and it gives you some insight into the character of this guy. He really is a just and compassionate person who is doing the right thing because his wife cheated on him, but actually doing it in such a way that it would have at least some small benefit for her and probably cost him the dowry that he's been given. All right, there's the setup. Here is what happens. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying. Now, what the angel says is supposed to be very comforting. And when I read it, you may think to yourself, okay, the angel's coming to comfort him. But after we read it, I want to flip it because I want you to see what the angel is saying and how Joseph may be receiving what the angel is actually saying in this dream. So here's what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Okay, number one, go ahead and marry her. It's all right. Don't be afraid. Number two, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's the explanation. Don't worry, Joseph. She hasn't cheated on you. She will bear a son. That's awesome. You're going to get a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, let me tell you what Joseph may be hearing from his cultural perspective. As much as all that sounds good. Go back. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear to ruin your future. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and marry this woman that is going to bring shame on you and ostracize you from your community. Go ahead and do that. I'm not sure why that's comforting, God. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Really? Hey, this has never happened before. This is a little bit odd. So what you're telling me is though we've had millions and millions and millions of births that all happened the same way, this one is God came on her and got her pregnant? That's what you want me to trust? Okay. She will bear a son, that's awesome, and you shall call his name Jesus. We really don't get in our culture what that line means. It is the right and honor of the Father to name the child, especially the firstborn son. I mean, this is like, this is a huge thing for the dad to do. This is why it was such a big deal in Zachariah's case, where the mother says, no, we're gonna call it this, and they look to the dad, what? And the dad has to go in and scroll something. No, no, you gotta do this. This is giving up an essential and regular right that all dads would have had. I'm telling you what you must name the child. And then finally, for he will save his people from their sins. And guess what? 
the primary benefit that this child will provide is for the sake of others. So all the ostracized, you're going to get ostracized. You've got to believe some ridiculous thing that God got this girl pregnant. You don't even get to name your own child, even though every other dad gets that. And it's for the sake of others. This isn't even primarily for you, Joseph. This is for everybody else. And you get why that message may not exactly go, oh, awesome, let's go do this. Basically, the angel just came along and said, no, it's as bad as you think it is, Joseph. <laughs> we went to uh, Urban Air yesterday. My son went to a birthday party. And Urban Air is a trampoline park. But it is not an ordinary trampoline park. It has lots of trampolines all over the place. But it also has all of these climbing apparatuses. It has a zip line that goes all the way around the thing and actually has these cables connected to it. And like kids can swing from side to side as they're doing the zip line. It has the, the thing that you walk up on, I forgot what it's called now, and you hold on a line, and you like look down and you're walking on little tiny thing. I mean, it's just loaded. It has a, a ninja course where there's all these balls and you have to try and stay above them. And when you crash down into the balls, it's really hard to get out, because I was watching my son try and get out, and it was like quicksand. But it is this incredible park. And there's this sense of danger in this park as you like climb up these really tall walls, as you're zipping along. And yet, unless something malfunctions, you're completely safe. Like that zip line, you can go from side to side, but the, the line that you're on isn't long enough to hit anything. It doesn't matter how hard you swing, you'll never actually hit anything. When you are climbing up walls, you're connected to something. And when you fall, you fall about an inch, and it catches you. And then you just slowly go down. Like you can't actually get hurt unless something malfunctions. Here's the problem with our world. Our world has malfunctioned. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where people get sick and they die. We live in a world where people's reputations get ruined and they don't recover. We live in a world where really bad things actually do happen. And yet... We're still called to follow God. Here's the thing about Joseph. Joseph is given this outlandish story and said, here's what's really going on. Yes, your reputation might get ruined. Yes, you need to believe something ridiculously incredible to believe. You don't get the right of naming your son as everybody else does. And when this actually comes to fruition, you'll get some benefit, but really it's for the sake of everybody including, guess what, all the people that will reject you. The decision you make, all those people that ostracize you, it's for them too. It's so they can be forgiven. What do you do with that? It is not a fairy tale. It's not a everything's just gonna work out. In fact, the story of Joseph, I mean, basically, we get Jesus at 12, and then that's it. 
We don't even know what happens to Joseph. We have no idea what takes place in this man's life. Apparently, by the time Jesus gets to the cross, he's probably passed away because there's no mention of him anywhere dealing with anything. How do we go through a fallen world when it's not a fairy tale that bad things really do happen? What do we do? What does Joseph do? How does he handle this? He obeys. As incredible and as weird as it sounds, and I mean, this is what I want to share with you. I want you to look at this man's obedience. Verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. His obedience is immediate. There's no like, well, let me think through this a little bit. Let me rationalize a little bit. Maybe he didn't really mean that. Maybe he meant this. Did, I actually, did that actually angel really show up or was that just like that terrible pizza I had last night and that was, got indigestion this morning. I'm not sure if that, there's none of that. He doesn't like try to make up a new story. He doesn't try and, it's immediate. If you want to obey God, immediate. Because what happens when we hold off a little bit. What happens is we begin to go, well, did God actually mean that? Like I could see reasons why, well, I, immediate. His obedience is immediate. Number two, not only is it immediate, not only is it immediate, but keep going. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. You know, that's not actually commanded anywhere. It doesn't actually say you can't do this. So what looks to happen is they, in, they, they take the betrothal period and go ahead and take her as your wife, marry her. And then go and live with her, share a bed with her, but he does not consummate with her. And that's not something that is specifically said, don't do this. But he is so passionate about the obedience that he takes it to that level to say, this child is holy. This child was given by the Lord. I'm not going to mess that up at all. I'm not even going to interfere. I'm not going to step that direction. In fact, I am going to practice abstinence for the next five to six months until after this child is born. His obedience is passionate. There is no, what's the minimum I can do? Like if I just take these few steps, okay, good, I did it. Joseph is like, how far can I go in obeying God? And lastly, it is very sincere. And he called his name Jesus. You know, only two people know that the name is supposed to be Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Those two are told. Back in Luke's account, Mary's told, and here in Matthew's account, Luke, uh, Joseph is told. 
you know how easy it could have been for Joseph to go, yeah, let's make Jesus his middle name. That way I can go ahead and give him a name. That, that basically follows it. Or, oh, I'm sorry, Mary, but I didn't get that from the angel. And you know what? She has to obey her husband. He could have said, no, we're going to name him this. Because you know what? Nobody would have known. This is the obedience where it's not external. This is him doing what he's told to do when he didn't really have to. As I was driving into church today, you'll notice all of these various neighborhoods as you drive down like Teal, the entrance to the neighborhood is beautiful. I mean, they've set up all of the lights. They are perfectly strung. Every light bulb is lit. There's wreaths. They're all perfectly spaced. It's gorgeous. But when you drive into the neighborhood, like, there's one house that's decorated. There's one that's kind of half decorated. Some of the lights aren't working. And, oh, there's one that's got some wooden Snoopy in the front yard and a Santa Claus that's almost fully blown up. And that's it. Like, most of the houses aren't decorated, and from the outside, as you hit that neighborhood, it looks beautiful. But when you get on the inside, it does not reflect what you see as you drive by. That is not Joseph. From the very beginning of this account, as he justly and compassionately says, I want to take care of a woman who has betrayed me in the worst possible way, I still want to take care of her if I can or doesn't matter that nobody knows. I will give up my right to name this child and I will name the child as the angel told me to name the child. Because the obedience for Joseph is very sincere. It's not an external. It's not a, if I do this, people will think certain things of me. In fact, for Joseph, if I do this, people will think certain things of me. They will think I'm crazy. They will think I should be ostracized but he still does it. His obedience to the Lord is sincere. In every way, as we look at this man, he is put in a ridiculous situation. And yet in this ridiculous situation, what he chooses is obedience. I will obey what God has told me to do. And I would argue that that brings peace in the midst of these difficult situations. Think with me for a minute. There are three young men in the book of Daniel. They get thrown into a furnace. And yet, as they are being thrown into the furnace, there is no sense of anxiety in them. In fact, what they say is this. We will obey our Lord, even if he doesn't save us. They are so sold out to going, we actually know what we're supposed to be doing. This is the way to obey him. We should not bow down to any statue. So we will obey the Lord and do what he says. And in obeying, they find peace. You see the same thing in Jesus. As he goes into the garden, he is so distraught that he's sweating drops of blood. And yet, not my will but yours be done. And from that moment, he has enough peace in him to comfort others on his way to the cross, 
He has enough peace in him to be on the cross and to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because in our obedience, there can come peace. Now, the opposite is true in a very, very famous story, Jonah. Jonah fights God the entire time. Even when Jonah comes back to preach in Nineveh, he is still fighting God. Basically, his preaching is, all right, go ahead and repent. That should be good enough. It is the opposite of what Joseph does. When Joseph says, I'm going to go marry you, and then for the next five to six months, I will not consummate the marriage, even though I'm going to sleep with you probably in the same bed, because I'm going to go all the way in obeying God. Jonah's the opposite. All right, fine. What's the minimum thing I can do right now? And then what do you have with Jonah? At the end of the book, he's distraught because a tree doesn't give him some shade. He has no peace. Because there is no peace when we are not walking in God's ways. Because he is our creator, we are made in his image, and when we are doing his things, there is a peace that we can find you will not find any other way because you will always know you're outside. You'll always know you're doing something that is not what you were created to do. Paul says it this way in Philippians. Toward the end of the Philippian letter, he writes to them in chapter four. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Obey. And he says, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. If you want peace, practice these things. Not listen to them, practice them. Not hear how amazing Joseph was, but walk out of here and go, I want to obey in those ways. I want to be sincere and passionate and immediate, and the God of peace will be with you. Jesus, as he's talking to the disciples in John 8, he says, if you, are, if you will remain in my word, then you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and you will set you free. Freedom comes when we're walking in his ways. Peace, we're walking in his ways. That obedience is so significant. Elf on the Shelf came about not that long ago. Considering there are 11 million elves adopted worldwide right now, you would not think that the poem that started the whole thing was written in 2004. It seems like it's been going on a lot longer than that. Two twins wrote the poem. And they wrote it based on the fact that when they were younger, they had this elf 
and the elf would move around at different times, and the elf would watch over them, and they began this story of the elf would go to the North Pole and tell Santa both the things the kids wanted, but also whether the kids were good or not. So you know the Santa Claus, he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, that really creepy song, Santa's peering in your window while you're sleeping. Well, now Santa doesn't have to do that anymore. The elves get to do it. <laughs> so they write this poem, and both of them, one of them works at QVC, one of them has a part-time job with her dad, and they're broke. And they write this poem as nothing more than to memorialize their own childhood. And then they decide, this is really kind of neat. Maybe we could get it published. And they get a local um, illustrator, and they write a book. They self-publish the book. Then they decide, we're going to go all in. They give up their retirement, what little they have. They sell their house, one of them. They take all the proceeds, and they just start going all out for this thing. And it takes them three years of self-promotion before finally Jennifer Garner. There's a picture of her in 2007 with an elf on the shelf book. And as soon as that picture gets out there, suddenly they are invited to the Today Show. <laughs> Everybody now wants it. And it just explodes to what you have now. 11 million elves worldwide. <laughs> Do you know how many parents are pulling out their hair every single Christmas now? <laughs> but these elves, they watch and they see whether you are being obedient or not. And they watch that obedience so they can go to Santa. And then the parents can say, you know, you may not get all the presents that you want because the elves are watching. You need to be good. Thank the Lord Jesus is not like that. The Father is not like that. The Father does know everything you do, but he's not watching you to go, oh man, you screwed up again. I guess I'm not gonna be blessing you this year. That is not our God. Our God is doing this. You screwed up again and you're hurting yourself. I wish you could just see my ways are how you were created. And when you walk in my ways, you have a chance for peace that you don't have in any other way. And it's not the, it's not the, the kind of thing you get with that prophet who decided, well, God, I guess I'll partly do it. That isn't it. It's selling ourselves out to what God is asking and then letting it go for him and seeing how God might bring peace into our lives. Let's pray. Father, this season, we all have our struggles, our challenges, we also have ways we know you're calling us to walk. And some of them are hard, Lord. It's hard to trust. It's hard to really step out in complete surrender. 
But Lord, as we look at Joseph and we see the ways that he responded to the incredible call you had in his life, may we be encouraged. May we be built up and strengthened to take whatever steps you may have for us, that we would walk in obedience and we might know the God of peace being with us. In Jesus' name, amen.